Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you today. Hope you're enjoying the air conditioning. Usually in that uh, message insert that Elliot mentioned, there's um, a number of lines with blanks in them to fill out for the outline, but in this series, the page is, for the most part, blank, and that's so that you can draw on your own what I put on the whiteboard. Uh, by the way, this one, we're going to draw two diagrams. One will be on this side, the other on the other side, so leave yourself room for two sides of this diagram. If you can't see everything on the whiteboard, we're going to be projecting the images on the screens as we go along so you can follow along there. Today, the topic is going to be following authority. Not a very popular topic in our culture. The reason is we're, we're pretty suspicious of authority, and, and we have good reason to be suspicious. Two weeks ago, uh, the Panama Papers were released. You probably heard this in the news. And those papers uh, detailed some of the financial arrangements that some corrupt politicians and business leaders around the world had made. And it was yet another reminder to everyone that there really are a lot of bad leaders in the world. So if we, we read history at all, if we watch the news at all, if we've lived for very long at all, and we've followed anyone for very long, it's very easy for us to come to the conclusion that it would be absolutely foolish for us to trust those in authority over us, and even more foolish to follow them. And you know, we, we really are right on that. Blind following Blind, trustful following is never a good idea. Bad leaders really should be questioned. They should be removed if possible. And if not, you should avoid them at all costs. But the question I want to address today is, what about the average garden variety leader? Leaders with hearts like yours and mine, trying to do the best they can as they understand it. Flawed leaders like we are, Leaders that sometimes we find ourselves agreeing with and other times we find ourselves shaking our head in confusion over. Should we follow those kind of leaders? You know, not the evil leaders that are out to do harm, but just the average leaders, the ones that most of us find ourselves uh, following. Should we follow them? Well, honestly, it's still a pretty risky thing to follow. I mean, after all, they are, they're just people. And um, <clears throat> they often do make mistakes because, well, they're like you and me. We make mistakes. So even if we do follow the garden variety type leaders, it seems prudent for us to, to follow them with a, with a great amount of reservation, with a wary eye, and, and only if we absolutely have to. But that is not God's take on this topic at all. His take is very different. This is what he says in Hebrews 13, 17. This theme is throughout the page of Scripture, but it's summarized very well in this verse. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Why would you do that? Well, it says, because they keep watch over you as men, as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So let me draw a diagram of what this is talking about. We'll start with our stick figure person. He's making his reappearance, and we'll put this individual on a timeline. This is us. We exist in space and time. So what that means is our vision is extremely limited because we can only be at one place at one point in time. But there, of course, is much more going on than what we can see. There are all kinds of dangers in the future that we have no idea are coming our way. And there are all kinds of opportunities in the present that it's really hard for us to recognize. Now, if we knew how the future was going to unfold, and we would know wow, this is a tremendous opportunity, but we just we can't see that far. And so there's opportunities we miss. There's dangers that we don't get prepared for. And God himself, in light of that, offers to, to look out for us. Of course, his perspective is, 
is much more elevated than ours. Because he operates, he lives, he exists outside of space and time, but he still uh, intervenes in space and time. So he sees absolutely everything. Our vision is very limited, but from his position, God sees it all. And he offers to keep an eye out for us and warn us of danger that's coming that we can't see around the corner and help us take advantage of opportunities and get ready for problems that we really can't even anticipate that are coming maybe a year or five or ten years from now. And God offers to communicate instructions to us. To not just watch out and observe, but to actually tell us what to do. The question is, how is it that God, who sees everything, gives us a heads up, instructs us where we are in space and time? I mean, he could just speak audibly to us, directly to us, and give us a heads up and tell us what's happening. And of course, on occasion, if you read the pages of the Bible, he, he does that very, very rarely, but he does, but has never done it to me and probably hasn't done it to you. He could also just put the idea in our head. He could take what he sees, what's in his mind, and put it directly into our mind. And he is able to do that. And if you read the page of the scripture, often you will get ideas that are from God. But one of the challenges with the ideas in your mind is it's hard for you to know, is this just my idea or is this God's idea? Because they're all jumbled up in there, and it's hard sometimes to separate one from the other. So this verse, Hebrews 13, 17, describes the most common way that God keeps an eye out for us and gives us instruction. He puts leaders over us to watch out for us. So between us and God, he puts leaders. Now, we know that the leaders in our life are over us, say, on an organizational chart. You know, they may outrank you on your job or they outrank you in their government position. But this isn't talking, this verse isn't talking about their rank. It's talking about their vision. And what this is implying is that they are above us in position for the purpose of being able to see more than we can see. Now, how is that possible? How can they see more? Are they smarter than we are? Well, sometimes those in authority over us are smarter. But you've probably had the experience I've had often following someone and you think, I don't know what they're thinking. I clearly am smarter than them, at least in this circumstance. So they're not always smarter than we are. So how is it that they can see more than we can? Well, the reason is because, as it says in this verse, God is the one that's involved in this process. It's not just some leader that's over us and that automatically sees more. God is the one that's passing on insight to the leader, and then that is being passed on to us. They are keeping watch over us as God's representatives, is what this verse is saying. Now, how is that possible? I mean, it may look to you like your leaders are acting alone, and they, in fact, might think that they're acting alone, but they're not. God is using them to lead you and to confront you and to grow you. Now, he doesn't do this verbally. You can't expect to show up for work tomorrow morning, and there's a note from your boss saying, I don't know what this means, but God told me to tell you this, so hope this means something to you. Sign your boss for God. That's not the way it's going to work. There's there's not going to be a direct verbal line of communication that God opens up through your leaders. In many cases, your leaders may not even have a relationship with God, but God still uses them. God uses leadership to keep an eye out for us and to give instruction to us as, he, as they lead us practically through life. Not verbal instructions, but practical leadership. Let me give just one example from my life. When I was in advertising, 
the owner of the company, the man that I was, uh, that I reported to, uh, loved to start new businesses. He's very entrepreneurial. And uh, if you've ever started new businesses, you realize that it usually takes a lot of capital, a lot more than you think. Most new businesses are very undercapitalized. And they're pretty much hit and miss. Now, he was pretty good at it, but we would regularly lose money on some of his ideas. And so as, we, as I was responsible for building and growing this, this small to medium-sized agency, at the moment when we really would get traction would be the moment he would have another business idea. And he'd begin to drain resources from our, our account, and, and I'd have to scramble and struggle to figure out how sometimes to meet payroll and how to handle different uh, vendors. And it put a tremendous amount of pressure on my life. And I remember during that period of time, I was like, I don't understand what's wrong with him. I'm smarter than him. I, this is not how you do this. this is, and I would struggle with that. Now, what I didn't know was this. On my own timeline, about 17 years ahead of that point, I would be the pastor of a church, this church, and God would lead us to purchase this property and to build these buildings. Something that was, well, given the location of Huntington Beach, was really beyond our ability. And so God did some miraculous things, but there was a tremendous amount of financial strain and pressure during that period of time. And over and over again, as I endured and led through that financial stress point, I would go back to some of the skills and some of the, the experiences that I had while I was following that leader. And I would draw on that experience. Now, this leader had no idea what was on the future of my timeline. He's, he's just a person like I am. He didn't know any more than I did. But you see, God did. And God knew, you know what, 17 years from now, you're going to have to have the capacity to handle more pressure than you do right now. So I'm going to make your life miserable for about three years <laughs> under this leader. And it's going to increase your capacity to handle financial chaos. And it's going to give you some tools, both legal and accounting-wise, to be able to understand how to manage these kinds of things, something that I would never have learned in my master's degree in seminary. But God knew what was coming down my pike in the future, and he prepared me through that leader. The leader had no idea, but God used the leader to watch out for me and my future. That's how it works. Now, why would God use a flawed person who may not even believe in him to pass along his instructions to you? I mean, why not just go direct? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is that if you take out the middle person here, the visible middle person, then following God is something that you can think you're doing, but you're not really doing. The reason is because God's not visible. Your boss is. If you're not following your boss, your boss will let you know. If you're not following God, well, you can go a long time thinking that everything is hunky-dory when, in fact, it isn't because God's invisible. And we have a tremendous ability to take our desires and sign God's name to the bottom of it. You know, we really want to do this, and so we can figure out in our mind, this, you know, I think God's good with this. And God is saying, I am not. But you see, because he often doesn't speak verbally and he's invisible and we don't, may not spend enough time in his word to really listen to him, it's easy for us to think we're just doing fine when we're not. That's one of the reasons why God uses a middle person to exemplify his authority. The other reason is because God wants followers down here who have freely chosen to follow him. Followers who really have decided without any pressure, that they will trust God and they love him and they will do what he says. Now, if he instructed us directly, if he took out the, the middle person here and showed up in some physical form or some way to, to instruct us directly, that would completely overpower our freedom. 
I mean, if you read in the pages of the scripture, the few times that God shows up in any physical representation, the people are just, they're on their knees shaking, just getting a little glimpse of God's power and amazement. And if God did that to us, if he went direct, well, we would do do everything he said. I mean, if God showed up to you this afternoon, you would do it. I promise you, no matter what you think of God, you would do it. But it wouldn't be because of real genuine love for him or real genuine trust in him. It's because you would be in fear and in awe of his presence. And that's not the kind of followers that God wants. He wants real followers. And so God goes incognito to find out what we really think of him. He hides his authority behind the faces of flawed human authorities. You see, because if we will trust God enough to follow this turkey, then we really do trust God. See, we we really do trust him. So if you want a huge benefit in life, this verse is saying, if you want life to go a whole lot better, it's not going to go perfect. We're still in a fallen world. There's going to be pain. But if you want your life in general to go a whole lot better, to be much more beneficial, then you want to follow your leaders in such a way that makes their job a joy and not a burden. The idea in this verse, this verse was originally written in Greek, and, and the image behind burden, literally, is, it, the word sounds like someone just sighing. So the, the image is if you walk up to your boss and your boss sees you coming and they go, oh, okay, that, you're not a joy to lead, okay? I don't know what you're doing, but your boss you know, sees you coming and there's a sigh. You want the one in authority over you, the ones in authority over you, seeing things as clearly as possible because they are serving as your lookouts. You don't want them distracted by your bad attitude or your poor work ethic. You, you want them to see you coming and, and smile, not go, oh, no, here they are again. You want them freed up to be able to see everything other than you as best as possible because they're your lookouts. Now, if their instruction is in clear opposition to God's word, then don't follow that. If they truly are evil leaders, and there are evil leaders out there, and they're out to do you harm, they're out to do other people harm, then, then change leaders if you can. But if they are, we're talking about the normal flawed people like you and me. If they're like that, then follow them well. God is at work behind the face of your leader. God's instruction isn't the only benefit that comes from following authority well. God also provides protection through leadership. As I said, we're very vulnerable down here. Not only are we physical and therefore vulnerable, but, but we're limited. We, we just can't see very much. And there's no way we could ever see enough to protect ourselves from all the dangers in this world, but God has set up a zone of protection that follows this line. And it casts a shadow of protection over us. And if we decide to step out from this stream... Well, we've just invited ourselves to be more vulnerable. Now, life is still going to be painful here. We're still going to get hurt here. It's just going to be worse out here, out from under the shadow of God's protection of authority. Now, even if you agree with all of this, as you're sitting here uh, and you look at this and you say, you know, I, I really do believe that's what the Bible teaches and I agree with that. Even if you do agree with this and you decide to follow 
your leadership with a good heart, that following will be tested. And it will be tested usually at the point of fear and at the point of disagreement. Whenever something in your life is threatened, uh, your money, your health, your kids, something that you really value is threatened, and you're not so sure your leaders are leading in a good way to keep that safe, you're going to be tempted to bolt. And if you disagree, you're going to be tempted to bolt. And you see examples of this struggle throughout the pages of Scripture. I want to share one with you that's very insightful. This occurs under Moses' leadership. Moses was the leader that God had chosen to lead two million-plus people out of slavery in Egypt and to the Promised Land. And they arrived at the border of the Promised Land, and Moses sent 12 spies to explore the land. And the 12 spies came back to report what they'd seen. And they reported that, in fact, the land was amazing. The water supplies were great. All kinds of produce grew in the land. Uh, it was, in fact, more amazing than what the rumors had said. But there was this big problem, and that is that there were fortified cities in this land. And guarding those fortified cities were armies that had giants in them. And that struck fear into the heart of everyone that heard this. And here was their response in Numbers 14, verse 3 through 4. They said, our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Now, remember, back to slavery, okay? But at least they knew kind of what to expect there. Heading into giant territory, that's scary stuff. So they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The problem is, they already had a leader, right? The leader was Moses. I can almost imagine Moses hearing this saying, I can hear you. I'm here. You, you want to choose a new leader? I'm, I'm right here. I'm the leader. They want a new leader. Why? Because this one, the one they had, Moses, was going to lead them into giant country. And while that was going to put not only them, but their families at risk. You know, as a father, there's very little that moves me like a threat to my family. So I, I understand this. So to protect their families, they wanted to move out from under the leader that God had provided, and they wanted another leader. This is the big challenge when it comes to following. Different circumstance for you, same theme. We all deal with this. As long as everything is going good in this lineup, we're happy. As long as our leaders are behaving and everything under here is prospering, we love our leaders, or at least we'll put up with our leaders. And we'll keep following and not make too much problem. But when the clouds start forming on the horizon, and something that we really care about looks like it may be threatened, or a decision comes down from the leaders that is just flat confusing, and we disagree with it, at that point, we begin to look for replacement leaders. Now, we don't necessarily think that, well, I'm just going to move out from this. We just, we just need a different one right here. Because this one getting scary. It's not leading the way we want to lead. That's because what we really think is different than this. This is what Scripture communicates. God works through leaders to instruct and to protect us in space and time. But we think very differently than that. Here's what we really think. Here's God. We understand God's above us, above all. Here's the leader. And here's us. 
on our timeline. And our understanding, especially when the leader starts to get confusing or, or head in a direction, not, not evil, but just head in a direction where we just disagree. Our, our real understanding comes to surface at that point. What we understand is this. God bypasses the leader and goes directly to us and, and tells us what needs to happen. And then we are more than happy to pass that on to the leader and help the leader understand what really needs to happen here. Now, it's fine to talk to your leader and give input, but this is different. Our understanding is that we, we now know what needs to happen in this situation, and we're going to tell our leader. And if our leader has the good sense to do what God has told us to tell them to do, then we'll follow. Now, that technically is not following, is it? But that's the way we think. And if this leader says, no, we're still going to head this direction, no, we're still going to do this, Moses, no, we're still going to head into the promised land, well, then we need a new leader. We've we got, we got to change this out right here. And we go looking for someone who will do what God has told us to tell them to do. A leader that we can really follow. Well, really, that's going the same direction we want to go. See, that's not following. You know, I head out to the parking lot, and our cars happily parked next to each other, and you follow me. That doesn't mean you're following. We're just, we just happen to be heading the same direction. That's very different. It's when the leader says, we're going this way. And he's like, but I want to go this way. Well, then you decide whether you're going to follow or whether really you're on an island all by yourself doing whatever you want to do. You're not under really anyone's authority, especially God's at that point. So if we're going to follow beyond our understanding. What that means is we're going to have to see things very differently. And if we're going to follow beyond our fear, what that means is we have to be convinced that the God that we can't see is behind the leader that we can see. That's the key understanding in following. The God here that we can't see is the one who's behind the leaders that we can see. Because if this is the way it really is, what that means is not only is it possible that you won't agree with everything the leader does, but oftentimes it's likely that you won't. The reason is not because you're stupid or not because you don't have a relationship with God. It's not that God can't communicate anything to you directly. It's not that you don't have a relationship with God. It's because God leads through leaders. So what that means is there are things that he does through them that he doesn't tell us about. There's things like, I have no idea this is coming 17 years down the road. The leader has no idea something like that's coming down the road. God does. And rather than go directly to me to tell me, hey, get ready, he always goes through leadership to prepare us and to protect us and get us ready for the future. But we have to be convinced that the God that we can't see is the one who's standing behind the leader that we can see. That's, that's the key choice. Now, the 12 spies had been sent out. Two of them came back with a very different report. Ten of them came back and said, yeah, the land's amazing. Now we should all freak out because of the giants. Two of them came back with a very different assessment. Now, they didn't dispute the facts. The cities were, in fact, fortified, and there were, in fact, giants there. What they disputed was the decision to choose a new leader. The reason they gave was that the, the, God, the God who was... Who, the, who they were following, he was the one who was leading Moses. And he can be trusted. Not, 
Not the leader, but the one that's behind the leader is the one we can trust. I mean, Moses isn't a giant. He's just a guy. But God, well, he, if this is where God is telling Moses to, that we need to go, then we're going to put our faith in God. God can take care of us. You know, Numbers 13, an Old Testament portion of the Bible that talks about this story, we, we find a list of the names of the 12 spies that were sent out. And if you read it, you will notice there are 12 men listed, but Joshua's name is missing from the list. And at the end of the list, you find out why that is. Now, you may not have ever noticed this because most of us, and I'm one of these, when you find a list in the Old Testament of names, you kind of go on autopilot or, or at least brain dead for a little bit until you get to the end. It's like, okay, now the story continues. But this is interesting because, well, where's Joshua's name on this list? Well, here's what it says at the end of the list in Numbers 13, 16. It says, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Here's the footnote. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. So when Joshua went out as part of the 12 spies, his name was Hosea. And you'll find that name on the list. And Moses changed his name to Joshua. Now, again, in our culture, we think, okay, he wanted a different name. That's fine. People change names. They don't like their names. But you see, names were very different in that culture than they are in our culture. Names were a big deal. It wasn't like today where we give our children names that we like or that we think they may not be made that much fun of in school or whatever. We, the names back then were prophetic. In other words, parents would choose names that would describe the kind of life they, they were praying that their child would live. And so Joshua's given name was Hosea. It was the most popular name of the time. The reason is that it meant the one who saves. That's what Hosea means, the one who saves. And you see, Hosea was born into slavery. And living in slavery in Egypt, it was common for families to name their child Hosea in the hopes that maybe, just maybe, this child would be the one who would rise up and save them from slavery. So Joshua was just one of the many other boys that had been named Hosea, the one who saves. Maybe this one will save us. But you see, Moses saw in this Hosea the quality that would distinguish him from all of the rest. This Hosea didn't see himself as the savior of his people. He saw God as the only one who can save and the only one who can protect. And so Moses, seeing this quality in him, added a prefix to his name. He used one of the names for God, Jehovah as the beginning, and he added that to, to Hosea. You put the two together, and the name is pronounced Joshua. And it means the God who saves. Not, not the one who saves, but the God who saves. Joshua is the God who saves. Now, in Greek, this name is pronounced Jesus, the God who saves. What Moses saw in Joshua was that in the face of fear, this man didn't turn to himself, but he turned to God. He saw beyond Moses, the leader. He saw beyond the giants, beyond the fortified cities, and he saw, well, here's the creator of heaven and earth, the one who can save, the one who can protect. He saw beyond that. That's why, having seen the exact same thing that all of the other spies had seen, Joshua came back saying, God is with us. He's the one who can save us. Don't be afraid. 
Let's follow Moses and do what God is telling him to tell us to do. This is the essential conviction of a person who is willing to follow at the point of pressure, at the point of fear, at the point of disagreement. They have more confidence in God's ability to save than they do in their leader's ability or actually in their own ability to save. You see, when you're scared, you run to the one you have most confidence in. Most people will run to themselves in that moment. Under pressure, they will step out from under authority and they will take matters into their own hands because at the, at the core, they believe that they are the only ones that can really be trusted with their future. But in the exact same situation, followers know that they, probably the very worst thing they could do is panic at this point and step out from under God's authority and out from under God's protection. It may feel safer, but they're just, they're just stepping into oncoming traffic. They're getting out from under God's protection. The report that the spies surfaced brought up in people's hearts probably their number one fear. They were afraid for the safety of their families, for their children. I mean, that's, as a father, as a husband, I'd have to say there's probably nothing that gets me moving quicker than that. I understand that. The problem is that God, through their leader, had told them to move forward. But they, they did not trust that God could be trusted to do that. So they went looking for a new leader. Now listen to God's response. This is in Numbers 14, verse 31 through 33. God says, as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder. You see, because behind that accusation was, I, I can't trust God to protect my family. I got I to gotta take that matter into my own hands. You'd said that your children would be taken as plunder. I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, you're never going to see that land. Your bodies will die in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your body, bodies lie in the desert. Then, then we're going to go to the promised land after 40 years. You don't trust me taking the promised land? That's fine. We'll, we'll do circles here in the desert for 40 years. After 40 years, this generation will be gone. And then the generation that you felt like you were the one to protect, you won't even be here to protect. I, the only one who can protect, I will be the one to take your children into this promised land. And they'll experience the blessing that I intended for both of you, but you rejected. You see, God's protection is under the shadow of leadership. This is where it exists. If your leader is evil... Well, again, be grateful that you live in a free nation and exercise that freedom and get out from under that leader and under a better one. But don't go solo. Don't step out from under the stream of God's authority. And if the leader is just a normal leader with flaws like you, and you're afraid now because of something that's going on or you're, you disagree with that leader, now may be the absolute worst time for you to run. The last thing you want to do is run out from under God's instruction and God's protection. I mean, maybe you do need to change jobs. There are good reasons to change jobs. That's fine. And if you're a Christian, you're in a church, and you decide you need to change churches, that's maybe you do. There are good reasons to change churches. But if your reason, like this story, is driven by fear or disagreement, be very careful. 
it's not only possible, but <clears throat> very likely that God is trying to guide you or grow you beyond your own understanding. And if you keep changing out leaders every time you disagree with the one you got, you're not going to grow. You just keep looking for leaders that agree with you. You'll never grow. And you just might get hammered in life as you keep swapping out leaders, which means you're really running out from underneath God's protection. So, on the job. If you work for someone on the job, work hard for them. Work for them in such a way to make them successful. And don't badmouth them to other people behind their back. Work hard for them. Respect them. If you're an owner, maybe you became an owner so you wouldn't have to follow anyone. And you've discovered, oh, I have a bunch of bosses now. All of your customers are your bosses. The bank seems to think they want a part of the saying what's going on. The IRS definitely is a part boss of what you're doing. Respect those in authority over you. Treat them well. God intends to watch out for you through them, even if you disagree with them. And if you're a Christian, find a church and make a commitment to serve there and to follow there. Help them move forward. Now, of course, you're not going to agree with everything that's done, but find a church that you can agree with enough that you can follow with a good and not a complaining heart because there's blessing in that. And then wives. I know you might be married to a turkey. <laughs> you know, us guys, we can be turkeys. And even the best of men have their turkey moments. So you may be looking at the man that God has put over you and say, oh boy, I'm a little nervous. Or I'm really struggling at this point. But you see, as long as your husband is not asking you to do something immoral or illegal, and he's not physically abusing you, he is God's turkey. God will lead you through that turkey. God is actually able to lead through turkeys. He has that ability. He does it all the time. You see, because your hope is in God, not the leader. If you look upstream and you don't go any farther than the leader, be afraid. Be very afraid. But if you go all the way upstream to the source, well, you, you, can, you have reason to have trust and have confidence. You can put your hope in God and ask God to save you as you follow respectfully with a good heart. So I've got three next steps for you, and these are in sequence. So I would advise you to, to do all three of these. These are listed at the bottom of your listening guide. Step number one, list the names of those in authority over you right now. Okay? Who are those in authority over you? If you can't think of anyone, start with Obama. Okay? Put his name on there. Okay? He is in authority over you. And there's representatives of the government in authority over you. List whatever names you know. And then circle one name. I thought of circling the name that you struggle with the most, but I'll just leave that to you. Just circle one name. And then number three, ask yourself, what is one thing you can do to make leading a joy for this person? What's something you can do this week that will increase the likelihood when this person sees you coming around the corner, they, they might actually smile rather than go, oh, no. What can you do to make it a joy? Let's pray together. Father, we, um, well, you know our hearts. You know that we are natural-born rebels.
We don't, a lot of us intend to set out to be rebellious, we're, but we're just selfish. We just want the things that we want, and uh, we don't trust anyone else, and so we tend to think that we know what's best. We're the smartest in the room, and that leads us to just not follow. And so there's all kinds of help, all kinds of instruction, all kinds of protection that we, we just don't get because we're not following. So I pray that you would help us to, to see the way things really are, not the way our culture says things are, not the way our own heart would like to say things are, but the way it really is, so that we can get in the stream of your protection, the stream of your instruction, and we can experience your blessing. I pray that you would give us insight into how to follow, and how to make it a joy for those that are leading over us. It's a thought that almost no, no one ever has, but give us insight into that. We need your help, and we pray this now in your name. Amen.